when Pastor called me a while back, he said, I'd like for you to come out if you have a free Sunday. And usually the summertime allows us to have a, a little bit of free time. Uh, in, in the summer, there's not as churches are doing camps and things like that, vacation Bible school. And so we have a little bit of downtime sometimes as missionaries. And of course, being from here, uh, it made it very easy for us to say, sure, we got this Sunday in August. We'd love to come back out and come by. And he said, I notice on your prayer card and also what you spoke about before that kind of your verse for ministry is from Psalm 142. And I said, yes, it is. He said, well, we are going through the Psalms in the summer. Would you mind preaching or speaking on that this morning? And I said, sure, why not? Be glad to. Uh, because it ties in closely to our ministry. Uh, one of the things that we are a part of uh, or have part in in our ministry in Egypt, in the ministry we have there, is that of working with refugees. If you remember that from the first time, uh, we worked with refugees, Sudanese in particular, but now we have a larger influx of refugees coming in, of course, from other parts of the Middle East. We've had them come in from Libya, as well as uh, we've had them come in from Iraq and Syria. But now we're even beginning to see them trickle in from Afghanistan. And they often come into Egypt because it is a little more liberal as a country. Uh, and uh, they see it as a good jumping point sometimes to head to the West, although that doesn't happen anymore because of COVID. Uh, but Egypt has always had its doors open to refugees coming in. And as I've shared before, when you look at the Old Testament, you see all kinds of refugees that pour into Egypt at different times. You even see uh, Jesus when he was young and his family taking refuge in Egypt to escape Herod. You just see this happening time and time again through the Bible, and it continues to this day. And it's a tremendous opportunity, and our churches have taken advantage of that to reach out to the refugee community. And one of the reasons for that is because the hopelessness that they have. They are going through a very difficult time in life of where Everything they've known is really just turned upside down. A loss of home, loss of culture, loss of uh, sometimes even language differences, things like that. You're trying to find a way to educate your kids, and you can't because Egyptian schools are closed to kids uh, from outside because they're so full in Egypt already. There's just a lot of difficulties they face. And now with COVID, I guess you could say it's, it's even more difficult at times. And one of the reasons that I look at this chapter is because you go to it and you find David at one of the lowest times of his life at this point. David, who was not king at this point, was hiding in a cave, the cave of Adullam. And as he was hiding there, he was hiding from the wrath of the current king, and that was King Saul, who was out to kill him. Now, he had already grown up as a shepherd boy, but he had experienced some victories in his life in being uh, someone that, of course, look at killing Goliath. And then he kind of takes over and, and he's in the military and he goes out and starts winning victories. But then, then you hear people singing his praises of how, yeah, Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his tens of thousands. <laughs> and that put him on the bad list with the king at the time. And eventually, he has to flee. And he's going here and there and everywhere. And at this point in his life, around 1060, 
B.C., almost a thousand years before Christ stepped foot on this earth, came to this earth for us. He is in a situation where he's on the run. And not only on the run for his life, it comes to a point where he's had to be abandoned or abandon everything he's known. His family, his friends, any security that would have been in his life, it's gone. And so I want to read from Psalm 142 this morning. Because here he speaks about his refuge in the Lord. It's a, a song of David, a prayer when he was in the cave of Adullam. And later on, of course, there are going to be people who come to David seeking their own refuge. His own family eventually comes to him in the cave. But those things haven't happened yet. At this point, he's alone, without hope not knowing where to go, not knowing where the next meal is going to come from, not knowing what's next on the agenda. You know, don't, don't we all wish we knew what was around the corner, what was coming up? Even in the day in which we live, this world seems pretty chaotic. It would be nice to know what's ahead, but we just don't know, do we? David's at that point here. And in Psalm 142, he says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. And when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then Thou knowest my path in the way wherein I walked. Have they privily laid a snare for me? I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto the Lord, to thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning, and I thank you for your word. We live in a world that seems out of control at this point. So many difficulties, so many hardships that compass us, as well as others in this world. But Lord, you're in control, and we know that. But sometimes, sometimes, Lord, we still feel like there's a loss of hope. There's a loss of control. And Father, that's because we're not you. You're greater than we are. So help us to better understand the position that we hold with you in the conditions that we're in and how you've made provision all along the way. And we give you the praise and glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Through all of this and all the difficulties David was in, he was wore out. He was tired. Much like the refugees that we often encounter, they're wore out, they're exhausted, they're tired, they see no place that refuge is going to come from. And I don't mean just physically. I'm talking also spiritually. It seems like there's just no end to what's going on. 
I know that many of you, like me, have seen our world in the last year and a half uh, seem to just completely make a, a huge change, hasn't it? Here, even here in America, with what's going on with COVID, so the divisiveness that's taken place, the, the politicizing of so many things, the difficulties that, that are arising in divisions between people over things. Uh, and it's difficult uh, for people to grasp hold of where is the end of this. And I want us to understand that a little bit as compared to the situation of David here. You see, David, he makes it very clear when he, he says with his voice, he cries out to the Lord. <laughs> he, he knows where to seek hope and where to seek refuge and where to seek guidance and understanding and that's with the Lord and he says again with my voice I plead for mercy I'm pleading for mercy from you Lord I, I, he's pouring out his complaint <laughs> that he has before God and telling him his trouble we need to be doing that ourselves I think many times we're busy, uh, really, not really thing, but we see so many times we're busy voicing our complaint to social medias or, or to each other and everything. Instead of turning to the Lord God who really has the answers and has the provision and can give us a way out and show us who he is, but instead our complaints going everywhere else but to him. And David says, I know my position. I recognize where I'm at. I'm hopeless. We, we need to recognize that, recognize not just our position, but recognize God's position. That He is a God that is in control. He is a God that He controls the events of our lives. Nothing that's taking place right now takes Him by surprise. It's been known to Him and been a part of what He has had ordained from the beginning. Uh, but David understand, he feels like no one cares for his soul even at this point. That's pretty desperate, isn't it? And we can see that even in our world today where we have neighbors, we have friends. They feel like no one really cares. There's a hopelessness that's out there among people. Few times are more distressing than to be in trouble and to be entirely alone. We have a son that he works at a nursing home, has been a CNA at a nursing home for the last couple of years, and so it's been through these events. And he said one of the hardest things has been in the nursing homes during this time where people can't come and have their family. I mean, people are there and they, their family can't visit. People can't see them and the isolation that's there. And, and you see that too, if any of you have been through where you've had family in hospitals, imagine the loneliness of being locked in a hospital and no one able to come see you or visit you. Uh, and you feel helpless yourself as family members that you're not able to go and do anything. We are really in that sense of desperation ourselves, aren't we? And it's a difficult place to be when you don't see the end of it and you don't know what you can do, but, but we got to understand God's waiting on us to cry out to Him in prayer. And sometimes that's all we can do, isn't it? For those that we love and care about in those situations is cry out to God in prayer because it does absolutely no good 
for us to complain to everybody else. Although we tend to do that a lot, don't we? We tend to, to throw that out there where our complaint is made to everyone but to Him. But God's desiring that our complaint goes out to Him. Our prayer goes out to Him. That it shows our dependence upon Him in those situations. Through that, we need to recognize, again, the position we are in and the position He is in. And David sees that of himself. He's in a position where he must cry out. As he says in verse 4, verse 2, he pours out his complaint before God. He shows him his trouble. How many of us, when we have trouble, we actually do cry out to the Lord? The psalmist has written before in Psalm 62, trust in Him at all times. And that's where our trust should be. Our trust should be in Him at all times. Oh, people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, it says in Psalm 62, verse 8. He's a refuge for us. We, as people of God, should recognize that we serve a God who's in control. That's where our refuge is found. That's where our hope is found. And it should be seen to others around us. Not our complaints going out through other avenues, but people should see within us that when we reach out, we don't reach out in complaint to each other, but to God seeking refuge. Recognizing our position. We often have resignation. <laughs> And I, when I say that, we resign ourselves as God's people when we face difficulties. And we say there's nothing left that we can do but pray. When in truth, really, it should be nothing, not nothing left. That should be the first place we're going. And that's what we see of David here. The first place he goes is in prayer, calling out to God. It shouldn't be the last resort. It should be our first resort. Pray and call out to God. David refused to be put off by his situation, although it was difficult, and he had difficulty about it. It seemed hopeless, of course, but he knew to cry out to God for mercy. Just like we see even in the New Testament, we see, you recall how the blind beggar, when Jesus passes by, what does he do? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew to call out. That's where we should be calling out. Son of David, have mercy on me. Restore my sight. Jesus taught his followers that as his disciples, his people, we should keep asking again and again. Ask and it'll be given to you. We need to keep searching. But that means we need to know our position. And when we are in a position of hopelessness, that God's in a position to take care of things. And we need to turn it over to Him. David, he's completely honest before God. Many of us, we need to be more honest about things. We're trying to put our trust in science or our trust in other people or medical doctors. And I think, why are we not first and foremost having a trust in God? Putting our trust in Him. And it's not that we don't go back and, and look for ways. I mean, there are things that God will provide along the way through maybe medicine and other things, and that's great. But let us first turn to God. When we have family or we have friends or people that are struggling, let us first turn to God. 
it seems, as I said, one of the things that happens in our world today is we want to assign blame. <laughs> we want to assign fault. But why don't we look for the hope that God offers? Cry out to Him. God, have mercy on us. God, are you looking? Do you see it? Of course He does. Do you see what's going on? Of course He does. He sees what's going on. Have you noticed that we have nowhere else to turn <laughs> but to Him? Recognize the position, but also recognize our condition. Recognize our condition. He says here that when my spirit faints within me, well, God knows the way, doesn't He? When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privately laid a snare for me? They've, they've laid out traps for me, <laughs> my enemies. They're looking to kill me. Now, God knows all this, right? He knows the situation. But he makes it clear that he also knows his condition he's in. In the midst of the world we live in, as I said, we deal with refugees sometimes. And it, it's, it's tough working with kids that they've seen their mothers and fathers literally killed in front of them. Grandparents, maybe a grandmother by herself raising 13 little kids in addition to somebody else's kids because nobody else is left in the family. Those are, are terrible conditions. Terrible conditions. And as I said, many times we want to search for blame. We want to look for uh, people to throw under the bus or put at fault. And we realize that the difficulty is there. But God wants us to recognize our condition in the midst of this. And in and, and, and David's situation, it's desperate, isn't it, from a human perspective? I mean, he's on his own. And he's being hunted like an animal. And that's why he uses the terminology here. They're laying traps for me like a snare, like you would an animal, trying to trap him, to take him, to kill him. And we get into those situations like that. There are many of us, we feel like we are, I guess you could say, pawns on the chess piece. No, on the, a chess piece uh, on the, the board. Our condition seems hopeless, but God knows where we're at. He knows our situation. He knows the conditions that we're going through. And the psalmist here says, my spirit faints within me. And it's not, God, I'm not telling you something you don't know. You know this. <laughs> but it disheartens me. And you know what? God understands that. I mean, He's created us the way we are with the feelings that we have, the emotions that we have. It's a part of who we are in the created beings we are. But we got to remember who our Creator is, too. And He knows the condition we're in. He knows the conditions we face. But He also knows that He hasn't left us alone. David's statement in this third verse is a cry the same cry, really, of the disciples. You remember the disciples when they were on the boat? <laughs> and Jesus was doing what? Taking a nap? <laughs> and it's like, okay, their comment is, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing here? We're going underwater. You're sleeping. Don't you care? As they cry out. 
It's also the wounded cry of Martha who tactically accuses the master when she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? It's the cry of the one who says, as Elijah's cry in a troubled prayer implies, that he's been deserted and left alone. These are common emotions. These are common things for us as human beings that we face. And we ought to know that we're not alone in that. I mean, sometimes my wife has a, a saying that I, I tend not to use, but she uses it. And she likes to say, suck it up, buttercup. But anyway, that's, I know we want to say that sometimes. And sadly, sometimes we're that way with people. We're short with people on that, aren't we? But you know what? There are people that are hurting. I sometimes see some really hurtful comments that go out and are things that are said. And we lose sight of the fact that maybe someone's lost someone that they're really close to that they love. To disease. To difficulties. And it's not just that. It can be other things going on in their family. Difficulties going on at home. And hard things get said and we may not use the word suck it up buttercup but we say things similar to that don't we we turn around and we'll say things that are hurtful and we lose sight of the condition and the hurt that's going on there and helping to steer people towards hope and in fact we turn around and we leave them even more like David where they feel there is no refuge there is no hope and there's no one I can turn to because no one understands and we got the opportunity to turn them towards the only one who gives hope in the midst of things. The psalmist says that no refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. That there is probably six of the saddest words that could be said. <laughs> no one cares for my soul. Do we care? We look at the hurting sometimes that we encounter in Egypt when we work with refugees, and that's really where they're at sometimes. Doesn't anybody even care? Does no one care for my soul? And I'll be honest with you, that's part of, that's really why we go. We want them to know that there is someone who cares for their soul. It's not just us, but there is one who does care for their soul in a way that only God can care. But we also want them to know there are other human counterparts within this world that do care for their soul. There are people here that care, and they want them to know the eternal hope they can have in Jesus Christ. I don't know. You may be here this morning and may feel that no one cares for your situation, for the difficulty you're going through. And if anything, let us point you to the one who does care. And that is God himself, Jesus Christ. He loves you. He cares for your situation, for your difficulty. And there are people here that should care as well, right? We care. We need to understand the condition that people are in. The condition that we ourselves are in. See, when David wrote these words, David was testifying that he was aware of the Lord's presence. He was aware that the Lord was there and that he trusted in his protection as the living God. He trusted in him for that and it's the one thing that we can fall back on and depend on no matter what one thing that 
I remember personally, and Jim had mentioned about being in the hospital. I spent about two months at one point in the hospital. Uh, and our funeral, we had planned my funeral. Our pastor had been up uh, from Graceway and his wife. They, they knew the time was close for me to die and the preparations was being made for, for that. And it seemed that it was over. And if it was, it was. I guess when you're in that position, one of the things that, that you look at is not just your condition, but the condition of others around you. <laughs> and you think, is there somebody else that I could have been given the opportunity to tell about eternity and having eternal salvation? Is, and then you think personally about family is, well, what about your wife? What about your kids? What happens to them? You start thinking through all those things because when you're in that position, you really begin to realize your condition is not one where we live forever. <laughs> and I don't know that maybe the world we live in today and the way things are going, maybe it can wake us up a little bit to the aspect that we're not going to live forever, that nothing is in our control, that things are in God's control, and we have a dependence that goes nowhere but to Him alone. And we realize that our trust can only be in God in those situations. He is the one that really will pull us through and pull others through the difficulties. And so once we recognize our condition, the psalmist here, he also has a conviction that is laid out. He says in these verses as we move on, I looked to my right hand and beheld there was no man there that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. But then he says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. God is his refuge. God is our refuge in the land of the living. This land that we live in, the difficulties that we encounter, the things that we face, no matter what they are, if we want to have true refuge, it can only be in God Almighty. Because if we're going to place our hope in ourselves, if we're going to place our hope in others, we're going to be failed every time. Things are going to fail us every time. Only when our hope is in God will we be able to stand. And that becomes his conviction here. I wonder aloud whether David remembered the words that he wrote in Psalm 16. Undoubtedly he did remember that. that he testified in earlier days before that he saw the Lord as his refuge, as his portion, <laughs> as his Savior, and as his liberator. And I want us to look at those short points here. He sees the Lord as his refuge. David testifies here, God is my refuge. And in an earlier verse, David had bewailed, no refuge remains for me. However, in this fifth verse, he testifies that you, Lord, you are my refuge. I have nowhere else I can turn. There's no other caves I can go to to hide. No other cities I can go to to dwell. There's only one place I can find refuge, and that's in the Lord God. And we need to recognize that. That should become our conviction that when all else fails and nothing else can bring us out, God is our refuge in this life. God was for the psalmist a safe haven, a place he could go to be protected from the assaults that were coming at him 
in life. The Lord was for David a harbor to shelter in, a place to go. And we see that even when someone is digging a pit for you to fall into, God is your safety. If you're here this morning and you, you have come to a place where you feel there's nowhere else to turn, then you come to the right place to at least let somebody point you to the God who can give you refuge and give you shelter. It's like that song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That's got to be our shelter, our hope. Trusting the sacrifice of Christ the Lord, because no government, whether Republican or Democrat, okay, not stepping to one side or the other, it doesn't matter. No government can give us that shelter. No one person, no amount of money can give us eternity. Only God can do that. Our hope must reside and our refuge must be in God Almighty. But not only that, God is our portion, he says here. And I said unto thou, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. We often see the writers of the Holy Scriptures testifying in times of distress and disaster that the Lord is their portion. He is the one that they can depend upon. Psalm 16, again, going back there, the psalmist said, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He's the one that provides no matter what. No matter the difficulties of life, God is the one who provides and takes care. The one who possesses God is richer than the wealthiest person in this dying world. God is the one who gives us eternal life. So we must ask ourselves, as Jesus says, he said, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also in Matthew. And that really is true for us. Where is our treasure? Where is our portion? Where do we place our hope? Is it in, in a 501k? Is it in our IRAs? Is it in our home? Is it in our investments? What is it? I hope not. Because if that's where our portion is, those things can be lost and gone just like that. As I said, when you deal with refugees, we often think if we see them coming in, we think they must be the poorest of the poor. Let me tell you, many of the refugees that we encountered were some of the wealthiest and the most well-off from their countries. And they had been fortunate enough to at least, God had given them provision to be able to get where they were. Many more had not been able to. And so, and, and they never would have thought when you talk to them, it would be gone and gone so fast that they would have nothing. They would have no home. They would have nothing for their kids, no education, no clothes, literally just what they had on and that was it. No place to give shelter to their families. Everything gone. And so that helps us as we point them to when we're looking for what comes from man, they're going to lose every time. We have to depend upon God to be our portion. He's the one that will provide. He's the one that will give. But also the psalmist wants us to recognize that God is our Savior. He's our Savior. God is the Savior, David cries out. 
Deliver me from our, by persecutors. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low, he says. Deliver me from the persecutors, for they are stronger than I am. He recognized that the people around him, if it came to placing the odds of me against them, I'll lose every time in our conditions, except for God. And I don't know, maybe he was thinking back to him and Dave, as David was meeting Goliath. Yeah, if you were going to place your odds when you saw these two come together, who's going to win this battle? Except for God. And that's all you could say in that. Except for God. God is our Savior. If you look at this in terms of what David said, we must look the same for ourselves. Undoubtedly, we each need a Savior, don't we? We all need a Savior. One who will deliver us from the penalty of sin. However, if we have Christ as our Lord, we're delivered from the power of sin and as we resort to Him. But we still need a Savior, don't we? He must be our portion. He is our deliverer. He is the one that will bring us out. He is the one that has defeated Satan. But He is also the one that gives us daily victory. As we talked about the aspect of sanctification a moment ago. In our life as we move forward, even as Christians, <laughs> it is not what we do. It is what He does. It is the victory that He gives us, and we need Him for that. He is the one that wins the battles, <laughs> that fights the fight. It is not of us, but only of Him. We must also understand there will be wicked individuals throughout this world that we will face. None of us are above facing difficulties. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. Look at the disciples themselves. There are some of those guys you'd say, hey, they should be able to get by. <laughs> but uh, they, they should get a free pass, shouldn't they? They had difficulties in their lives. They had difficulties in their lives that came up. None of us have an easy pass to it. We need a Savior. But also they recognize, and we should recognize, God is our liberator. He liberates us. He says here that he wants to be brought out of his prison. Bring my soul out of prison, in verse 7, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. We need a liberator. Someone to bring us out of the prison, out of the difficulty we are in. And that's God himself. Perhaps it is that despite being a child of the living God, you're shut up in a prison yourself. You may be a child of God, but you can be shut up in a prison prison of bitterness, a prison of jealousy, <laughs> a prison of anger. These things Satan uses as tools to try to get a hold of us. He, he desires to weigh us down, to pull us down. But we need a liberator. We need to be unentangled, as Hebrews 12 talks about. Those sins sometimes that entangle us and pull us down, even as believers and disciples as Christians. We need liberation from those things that would hinder us, that would hinder others, that hinder our own testimony to people around us. We need a liberator from one that is constantly trying to bring us down. Satan himself, he's constantly fighting a battle, isn't he? We have to be on guard. We have to watch. Knowing that Satan's going to do all he can as what? As a devouring and prowling lion <laughs> to come after us. 
But we need a liberator from that, and that comes only in Christ himself. But it is possible this morning you're outside of Christ. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And in that instance, that makes you a prisoner of the wicked one, of Satan himself. He's holding you captive. And the Word of God exposes your condition as being tied in that snare of the devil. The Word of God is quite blunt, stating that you've been captured to do the devil's will in 2 Timothy. And we need, you need... <laughs> Liberation. You need a liberator to take you from that. And I pray you find that freedom this morning. That you can come forward, that somebody can talk to you, maybe show you from Scripture how you can be free, how, how that provision's been made. All you have to do is say, God, unlock that key and let me through. I need you. The Word of God's very clear in presenting life in Jesus Christ. And my desire this morning is that you hear that from Scripture, you see that in this psalm, that we do not have to live a life of hopelessness. We do not have to be enmeshed in letting the things of this world control everything about the way we live. Because we have a God that's in greater control and greater authority. As you stand this morning, I just want to give it, Time to respond, if you would, and we'll have our music people come. A time to respond, understanding that this psalm is not a psalm just for David 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, but this is a psalm for us this morning in the Word of God. That we have a time to respond to the message and the passage. Father, I come before you and I ask you uh, in this time of response, Lord, that you would just help us to see our need and what you do for us, what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, providing him a spotless lamb, a savior, a liberator. Father, one that gives us provision and takes care of us. I pray this morning that somebody's here and they do not know Jesus Christ, that you'd help them to see the condition they're in. And it doesn't have to be hopeless. I pray that you would help our brothers and sisters that are here, the Father, the disciples, that maybe they've been entrapped and snared by bitterness, by difficulty, by maybe just some of the frustrations of the world going on, that they don't have to be left hopeless and alone. They'd find that time to cry out to you for the hope that they can have. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.